Hi folks, welcome to another episode of the Luke Tullock podcast. Been a little while, but hope you've all been very well. I just want to kick off this podcast by reminding you that you can join my newsletter at luketullock.com. Simply enter your email. I will send you an informative email on something health or fitness related once a week at most. And I don't really use that to promote my courses or anything. I tend to do that via a separate newsletter. So no dramas there. You won't be spammed. Okay, so today we're going to talk a bit about concurrent training. And this basically amounts to training for both aerobic adaptations and anaerobic adaptations as well. Or in other words, more sort of endurance-based training and some strength training or power training at the same time. So the first thing we need to talk about is the principle of specificity, which is sort of the primary thing that drives how we put together training programs. The basic idea is that if you want to get good at something, then you have to do more of that thing, uh, or you have to do some stuff that looks very similar to that thing. So a classic example would be if you are, say, a powerlifter, and you obviously need to do the competition variations of your lifts at a competition, then you should be using exercises that are fairly similar to that. So maybe you have to compete with a low bar back squat. uh, And so you might spend time close to the competition using that variation. But you could also get some gains in your low bar back squat by potentially employing some high bar back squats or some front squats or something that is of a similar sort of pattern. And the more specific that pattern is, the more carryover it will have to your actual competition lift. Now that applies to pretty much anything. Uh, And so, for example, if you wanted to get really good at running for a marathon, then you should probably try and train in a way that mirrors that. But that doesn't mean that we can't do some training that's also gonna augment and support your primary mode of competition. So that's what we wanna talk about today. Now, the, the main sort of thrust of the arguments that I'm gonna make today is that there is a training adaptations continuum. In other words, on one end, you kind of have aerobic adaptations, which are sort of more endurance or fatigue resistant based. They're they're there for repeated efforts over a longer period of time. And on the other end of this continuum, you have the anaerobic adaptations. And the the furthest on that end of the continuum is something like power. Uh, Now, absolute strength would be up that end as well. Hypertrophy would be more towards the anaerobic adaptation end of the spectrum too, but probably closer to the middle. And sort of any activity that we do that's physical will be somewhere along that continuum. So you might have something really anaerobic like weightlifting or powerlifting on one end. As you get closer towards the middle of the spectrum, you might have things like uh, fight sports, combat sports, football, team sports are generally in the middle somewhere where you need some power and strength and muscularity but at the same time, you need some endurance. And as we get closer to the aerobic end of the spectrum, we're looking at things that are like cycling and marathon running and that kind of stuff. Uh, So everything exists on this spectrum and it has to do mainly with kind of the energy systems that are involved, but there are other adaptations that come into play as well. We're looking at things in how the brain actually interacts with the muscles. So these are what we call neuromuscular factors. Uh, and it has to do with how the brain coordinates and recruits all of the muscle fibers involved in a particular activity. 
We also have the characteristics of the muscles themselves, the muscle fibers. So broadly speaking, type one and type two fibers have different characteristics on many levels that I'll touch on in this podcast. Uh, we also have distinct sort of cellular adaptations that occur that can push the ability for the body to adapt in a particular way in one direction or another. So that mainly has to do with energy availability at a cellular level. So I'll talk a bit more about that. And then, you know, you also have this sort of macro sort of view of things. So I've just talked about something right down at the cellular level, but, you know, on a larger scale, we need to think about how much we can actually contribute to each type of training and how much space we have in our training program to do that. So if we have a certain amount of ability to perform and recover from training volume, that's going to be affected to some extent uh, over time if we're trying to combine two different types of training. So I'll touch on that as well. Uh, I'll try and keep it brief, but this topic is actually pretty pretty in-depth and I have an extended sort of lecture series on this uh, in my science fitness course that I recently sort of gathered a bunch of research on. So that took me quite a while to get through, so I'll keep it a little bit briefer. Uh, in this particular podcast. But uh, I guess I wanted to start off with a discussion just looking at where we first came across this concept of an interference effect where we have um, endurance training and strength training kind of interfering with each other in a training setting. So this concept originally originally came out of a paper by Hickson uh, called The Interference of Strength Development by Simultaneously Training for Strength and Endurance. And this came out in 1980. So the whole idea of the paper was to investigate how individuals adapt to a combination of strength and endurance training versus either just doing endurance training by itself or strength training by itself. So to that end, to try and investigate this question, uh, the researchers took a strength training group that trained for 30 to 40 minutes, five days a week with strength training. They had an endurance training group that exercised six days a week with endurance training. And then they had a combined or a concurrent group, a strength and endurance group that performed the exact same daily exercise regimens as the strength group and the endurance group, but did it at the same time. So basically what we saw in this study was that there was a pretty consistent rate of development of leg strength by the strength training group throughout the the training and the endurance group didn't show any appreciable gains in strength which is exactly what we we would expect that's exactly what i just explained where we have the principle of specificity we wouldn't expect uh strength training in the legs to have a an appreciable um or sorry you wouldn't expect endurance training to have an appreciable leg strength gain compared to the strength group and that's exactly what happened Uh, we wouldn't expect to see that your vo2 max would go up very much in the strength group if at all and that's exactly what happened we had no vo2 max increase in the strength group but interestingly the rate of strength improvement by the combined group was actually similar to the strength training only group for the first seven weeks of training After that, it did level off and decline during the ninth and 10th weeks. Uh, So this is quite interesting. So we see that basically what's happening is that we can get a similar rate of increase in strength by doing both strength and endurance training together, but that doesn't last forever. Uh, Eventually what happens is we start to see these two sort of training pathways diverge a little bit. And that's kind of a theme throughout the literature. So we see that uh, if the dose of endurance training combined with strength training is appropriate, we can actually get reasonable gains in both domains um, 
pretty easily up until a certain point. And past a certain point, we start to see a decline in the strength gains in a combined group. So we do get this interference effect, but it depends on the modality of the training we're doing. It depends on the frequency of the training we're doing, and it depends on the duration of that endurance training that we're doing. Uh, this was actually investigated by a, a really cool uh, concurrent training meta-analysis uh, done by Wilson et al. in 2012. So I am going to come back to that uh, in a second. But uh, first, I want to kind of move to talking about rate of force development or power. So there's quite a lot of studies out there that have shown that if you train with strength and endurance training at the same time, you can get pretty similar gains in, in strength in both groups, as I sort of mentioned before. But the big thing that seems to take a hit is the adaptation or the strength quality that is furthest along the anaerobic end of the spectrum that I mentioned before, and that's power. So strength and power are actually pretty different. Strength involves moving a lot of weight slowly. Uh, and so that's typified in something like powerlifting, where it doesn't matter how long it takes you to, say, pick up a weight from the floor in the deadlift, as long as you get it up, it doesn't really matter. So, you know, your 400 kilo deadlift could take you 20 seconds to do, but as long as you, you ended up doing it, your power output is uh, quite high, but the actual amount of time that it takes you to do it, sorry, I should say your force output is quite high, but the amount of time it takes you to do it uh, is quite long. And so the equation there for power is not as high as lifting a lighter weight over a shorter period of time. So power is more specifically lifting something quickly, uh, and that's typified by what we call rate of force development. Now, the type of activities where you're going to get a high rate of force development are things like um, you know, throwing a shot put or uh, uh, Olympic lifting has a higher rate of force development, a vertical jump, a sprint. Generally speaking, the weights involved in these activities are not quite as high as like a pure strength pursuit like powerlifting, but the speed at which the, the weight moves and the rate at which that force is developed is much, much faster. So power adaptations are actually one of the things that seem to be affected most if you try and throw in some cardio into your training. So if you're already an athlete that uh, is very much involved with power adaptations, let's say you are a sprinter or a high jumper or something along those lines, and you wanted to maintain your, your power as much as possible, then it's possible that combining some endurance training with your current say strength training or power training is going to be a little bit detrimental to your rate of force development. Again, that's going to depend on the modality and the duration and all that sort of stuff, which I'll, I'm going to talk about a little bit later on how you can implement this practically speaking. But if there's one thing that suffers, it seems to be power. Okay. So with that said, uh, we need to think about why that is. And one of the reasons, the, the main reasons why we get these negative power adaptations is because the endurance training and the power training tend to have different neuromuscular demands. In other words, the way the brain coordinates your motor units and sends a signal to them is different in both of these pursuits. So when we do something like trying to produce as much force as possible, the idea is that we want to recruit as many muscle fibers as we possibly can and we want to do that quickly. And we also want to send a really consistent 
rapid signal to the muscles. That is kind of the opposite of what we do if we're doing endurance training. We don't need to recruit a lot of muscle fibers. In fact, we don't want to recruit a lot of muscle fibers. We want to recruit as few as possible so that we don't get as much fatigue accumulation overall in the system. Uh, we also don't need to coordinate those muscle fibers together as much because there is simply not a high amount of force demand. Uh, you can think about it with like a tug of war almost. So if your uh, tug of war team is all pulling out of sync, you're not going to move the, the rope very well. But if you sort of all go one, two, three, pull, and you all pull together and coordinate that better, you get a much better result in terms of moving the other team backwards. And so the idea is that uh, that's not necessary if we're going out for a jog, right? But if we're trying to produce as much force as possible, we want all of the muscle fibers we have uh, coordinating together. And so that's one of the adaptations we get when we do strength and power training. Uh, it actually teaches the brain to better recruit all of our muscle fibers and it uh, forces our brain to recruit more muscle fibers just to produce the amount of force involved. That's on the opposite end of the adaptation spectrum to what we are asking our brain to do when we do endurance training. And so it makes sense as to why we might get an interference with power adaptations from trying to do concurrent training because we're basically asking the brain and the neuro, neuromuscular systems to adapt in opposite directions. So that's kind of the main area where we're gonna have issues. Another area where we might have issues is in the fiber type. So muscles are broadly categorized into two primary fiber types. The type one fibers are what we often call slow twitch fibers, and they have a bunch of different characteristics that makes them more fatigue resistant they are slower to produce their peak tension, but that means that they actually have a very high resistance to fatigue. So their force production is not very high, their contraction time is pretty slow, and the size of these fibers is quite small, but they do have high resistance to fatigue, uh, high mitochondrial density, high oxidative capacity, high capillary density, all of those kind of things are pretty high. So it makes it perfect for something uh, suited to endurance type activities. Type 2 fibers are a bit different. Type 2 fibers typically are what we call fast twitch. So they tend to have uh, a larger size. Their contraction time is much faster. Their force production is much higher, but they have a very low resistance to fatigue. They don't have as many mitochondria, and so they can't use uh, oxidative metabolism as easily as the type 1 or slower twitch fibers. Now, there is a spectrum of fiber types, and there's a bunch of different molecular differences between the fibers that explain why they behave the way they do. But I'm not going to get into that in this one because that's pretty complex. Uh, but suffice it to say that our muscle fibers can adapt as well. So the actual structural characteristics of our fiber types can behave more like type one fibers or more like type two fibers, depending on the type of stimulus we give those muscle fibers. And so again, we're gonna get these um, muscle fibers that are probably better suited to endurance type activities if we do endurance type activities. Whereas their actual physical characteristics are gonna shift and change more towards power type activities with poorer endurance if we do more of those activities. So again, we're getting these divergent or sort of opposite effects from um, you know, anaerobic adaptation compared to aerobic adaptation. And this is, helps us explain why power is going to be significantly affected. Uh, you know, if we're converting some of our type two fibers to behave more like type one fibers, 
It means we're hurting our ability to contract quickly, to produce force quickly. Um, now, it does mean our resistance to fatigue is higher, but of course, if you're trying to throw a shot put as far as you can, that's not very useful. So that's another reason why we find these adaptations are pretty opposite. Now, I just want to make a point here that uh, all is not sort of lost. Uh, it does. There are some ways we can get around this, but I want to touch on one more thing. I want to touch on hypertrophy. I want to touch on muscle building. Essentially, what happens with muscle building is that uh, our muscle fibers have a, a sort of integrating center that looks at all of the different signals coming to the muscle. Uh, that master growth regulating center is called mTOR. And mTOR's job is basically to look at all of the signals coming in from various stimuli and to make a decision on whether to turn on a protein synthesis or not, and to what extent we're gonna turn on protein synthesis. And when we turn on protein synthesis, it means we start making more proteins in the muscle and we grow the muscle tissue. So basically this is called integration. Um, another example that I always use to explain what integration is, is the brain. So the brain has a bunch of different data streams arriving at it at one time. So we have information from our eyes in terms of sight data, we have hearing, we have taste, we have temperature and pressure and all of these different things that arrive in these huge data streams to the brain at the same time. And the brain's got to integrate all of this information together and come up with a picture of the world. And that's kind of our lived experience. That's our consciousness. And uh, mTOR is kind of doing the same thing, but with signals that pertain to protein synthesis in the muscle or not. Okay. Now, part of these signals are sent by things like uh, growth factors. So we're gonna think about things like IGF-1 or mechano growth factor. Things like tension and stretch on the muscle fibers are a big one. So mechanical tension is sort of the, the main thing that causes uh, mTOR to perk up and go, hey, we need to start making some more muscle proteins now. We can also get some signaling from inflammatory response. So things like myokines and cytokines and interleukins can all contribute somewhat to that signal to mTOR. So those are things that surround signaling from training. Uh, however, there are also nutritional based signals from mTOR. Uh, so how much energy we have available and how many amino acids we have available. Now, the main thing that we want to actually think about with concurrent training is that when we perform any type of endurance training, we get a signal to mTOR that says, hey, we don't actually have a lot of energy right now. So this is an upregulation of an enzyme called AMPK. AMPK is widely regarded as an energy sensor of the cell. And energy status of the cell will affect mTOR activity, which then affects how much muscle we're going to build. AMPK is activated and its levels increase when we have reduced glycogen content, when we have reduced uh, oxygen content around the muscle, when we have reduced blood flow, when we have increased temperatures, low glucose, and so on. So these are all the things that are reflective of exercise and reflective the most of endurance exercise. So we get this activation of AMPK 
the energy sensor of the cell. And it tells mTOR, hey, we don't have a lot of energy available right now to be building muscle. Building muscle is energy expensive. It costs energy to put all the amino acids together and build the tissue. And then it costs energy to maintain that tissue. So AMPK activation and its effects on the mTOR pathway are kind of the primary mechanism that reduce protein synthesis after endurance exercise. Now, of course, if we're doing strength training, we're trying to jam up mTOR uh, as far as we possibly can to try and get muscle growth. But if we're doing a ton of endurance training and we are dampening that signal, of course, over time, we're gonna get less muscle growth. So this is one of the main reasons uh, that concurrent training might not be the absolute best idea for muscle growth. But here comes the practical implementation part of this podcast. There are benefits to both types of training and just because you do one doesn't mean you can't get any gains in the other one. You have to consider the trade-offs essentially. So uh, concurrent training or adding some endurance training in for strength or physique athletes or trainees is pretty important because it can help you improve your work capacity for training in the long run. In other words, if you have better cardiovascular fitness, it means you might be able to do more work in the gym, which is gonna result in a bit more muscle growth over time. It also helps your cardiovascular fitness, which is applicable to various activities, obviously, uh, especially if you want to do anything active, like uh, if you wanted to jump in and play a touch footy game with your mates, or if you wanted to play with your kids, or if you wanted to go surfing, anything along those lines. Uh, of course, it's important for your health, mood, blood pressure, uh, even your brain health and memory significantly affected by endurance training because of some of the signaling that happens there. And it also has an advantage, especially for physique athletes in terms of energy expenditure, uh, which can be a really helpful thing, right? It can just be a, an easy way to burn some more calories, which means you can keep your physique a bit better and you can eat a bit more food if you want to as well. Now, uh, adding some strength training for endurance trainees, on the other hand, is also pretty important. So uh, doing some strength training can have benefits on speed, power, and anaerobic capacity. And although I've spent a lot of time talking about how endurance training uh, doesn't really involve some of those characteristics, of course, if you are doing anything competitive, um, that's going to come into play at some point, right? Like you're going to have a sprint for the finish line. You're going to have a section of a race where you might try and overtake somebody. You're going to have a hill that you're going to need to sprint up. At the end of the day, what we're trying to do is to finish with, uh, you know, as fast a time as possible. We're not trying to just finish the race in most cases. We're trying to actually do it quickly. And so certainly looking for some of those adaptations of speed, power, and anaerobic capacity are super important for most endurance trainees too. Uh, training with strength training can increase uh, or improve running economy in some cases. Uh, it can help with muscle mass, which is important for both health and aesthetic reasons. A lot of people just want to have a bit more muscle mass for aesthetic purposes or to feel better about how they look. Um, it can also help with your health. There's, there's several uh, studies that uh, associate longevity with the amount of muscle mass you have. It can, of course, help with bone mass, which is very important for a lot of people, especially females, and just strength for daily tasks. So in the same way that you want to have the requisite cardiovascular fitness to be able to do whatever activities you want to do, uh, having strength uh, can also help a lot. Like if you have to move house or if you, again, sometimes playing with your kids and carrying them and all that sort of stuff requires a bit of strength too. So there's plenty of situations where strength training can be helpful. So in both cases, we do want to do probably both types of training. Um, so 
there's a few things to consider if you do want to implement a little bit of cardio. And I, I most of the people listening to this are probably going to be people who are already training with weights, but want to in- introduce some cardio to their training regime and they want to know how to do that. So if you did want to add some cardio in, there are a few smarter ways to go about it. The first one is to consider the modality of the cardio that you're doing. Uh, you need to think about um, the mus- the crossover of the muscle groups being used. So for example, if you're doing a bunch of lower body cardiovascular training and you want to grow big legs, then that's probably going to be a conflicting goal. Or if a big goal of yours is to squat as much weight as possible, then doing a ton of running or cycling is probably uh, more antagonistic to that goal than doing a form of cardio that involves the upper body a lot more. And we've seen this in research as well. Um, So if you do a lot of lower body cardio, you can expect less adaptations to resistance training for the lower body. And the opposite is true as well. So just consider exactly what you want to get out of it and if it conflicts a lot with your goals. It is difficult to come up with some upper body cardio stuff, but if you have any arm crank uh, type things at your gym or say a ski erg or swimming, those are all options. They're a bit tougher than you know cycling or running, but certainly options there. You also want to consider the eccentric load of the activity in question. So the eccentric part of the movement is whenever you are lowering a weight or lowering a load, it's whenever the muscle is lengthening under tension. Eccentrics tend to accrue greater fatigue and greater degrees of muscle damage, and that can limit your training volume and it can limit your force output in the gym. So to give you an example, if you're doing, say, trail running and you're going down a lot of hills, uh, that can cause significant amounts of muscle damage and that can interfere with your resistance training for your lower body. However, if you did something that was of a similar effort, but you were cycling, of course, you're not going to have that lowering phase of the lift. You're only going to have the concentric part of the movement. And so that would result in minimal, if any, muscle damage. And it shouldn't then interfere with your force output as much Uh, as running would. Also, interestingly, concentric only work results in more energy expenditure. Uh, Now, you do have to sort of consider how much weight is being supported by the bike and all that sort of stuff, but uh, it is interesting to know that concentric only work is much more energy expensive too. So if your primary goal was to burn calories, then something like incline walking on a treadmill where you have much you basically have very little eccentric load, but a lot of concentric effort could be a better option. You also want to consider the effects of mechanics on lifting in the gym. So if you're trying to train your upper body a lot and you're doing tons of swimming, like, is that going to tighten up your shoulders? Uh, will doing a ton of running put you in this like really extended position? Um, you know, if you are someone who does a lot of weight training, you're probably going to be in this extended position where Uh, you have your shoulders back and down and you're pushing your chest out and you have a big curve in the lumbar spine. That's really common to see, especially in power lifters and Olympic lifters. Um, And if you're doing a ton of running or sprinting and you're getting yourself in that same position, it could mean that you're kind of limiting the range of motion that your body goes through. And that might not be a good thing. You might want to do something that puts you into a more flexed position like cycling. So a few little things to consider there. Uh, The duration and the frequency also has to be considered, right? So Uh, This meta-analysis that I mentioned earlier on called concurrent training, a meta-analysis examining the effects of aerobic and resistance exercises by Wilson et al. in 2012, uh, basically said that 
Well, they found in their analysis that low to moderate negative correlations were present for the frequency and duration of endurance exercise for hypertrophy strength and power outcomes. In other words, they basically recommended that strength or power athletes should avoid long duration endurance exercise of greater than 20 to 30 minutes, and they should avoid doing that for more than three days a week. So, you know, at most 30 minutes per session and at most three days per week. Below that, these authors didn't find, excuse me, any negative correlations with uh, hypertrophy strength or power outcomes. Uh, But more than that, we started to see some issues come up in the literature. So that gives you a bit of an idea of how much you could you could do. Now the the other thing I wanted to address is the intensity. So high intensity interval training versus uh, longer duration endurance training. There is a commonality between the short duration high intensity exercise to weight training. That's essentially what weight training is, right? And that is more up on the aerobic uh, anaerobic end of the spectrum. Uh, there have been a couple of studies that have found that adding shorter duration, high intensity sprints to uh, basically pretty good athletes like college level basketball players and baseball players. Uh, those type of exercises didn't really interfere too much with the maximal power output or rate of force development of these athletes. So if your sport does require maximal power or a high rate of force development, you should probably limit concurrent training uh, and you know, doing strength and endurance training together. But uh, if uh, your sport is primarily dependent on maximal strength and hypertrophy, like powerlifting, bodybuilding, those kind of things, then concurrent training doesn't have to lead to significant decrements in your performance if you choose the right modality and if you make sure that you're not doing like a super high amount of it. Now, I just want to finish off by saying a couple of things because I always get this question. The first one is about very low intensity cardio, like walking. So really low intensity cardio is not really a stimulus. It's not a powerful enough stimulus in most people to cause an interference effect. So I don't think that high volumes of walking are going to have an issue on your ability to put on muscle mass or get strong. I wouldn't worry about that. The other side of the coin is the really high intensity stuff. Like I just mentioned doing sprints uh, or doing maybe like high intensity circuit training or something like CrossFit. The problem there is that high intensity training induces a lot of fatigue. It has the high, a high chance of muscle soreness and that eccentric muscle damage that I mentioned. And it's also kind of mentally stressful to do, like just having to get psyched up for a high intensity sprint can be really draining on people, especially if they're in a situation where uh, their other training is hard enough and they're trying to stick to a diet and things like that. So the the main benefit there of doing the high intensity training is that it just doesn't take very long to do, to like burn some calories and to get a bit of a fitness benefit. If you do the really low intensity stuff, it is a bit more time consuming. And so that's the, that's the downside of that. All right. Uh, hopefully that was a bit informative for you. I mean, at the end of the day, it basically comes down to the type of activity you're doing and the adaptations you're looking for. I'll just end by saying that personally, I have taken up doing some running and many of my clients have, especially during the uh, the lock-ins or the isolation periods. And it's funny that some of the people who told me when they first came to me that they never ever want to do cardio. And if I ever get them to do that, they'll be furious. 
have ended up actually enjoying it the most. And now that we're going back to the gym, they've requested that we keep in the running for them. So I found that pretty interesting. And I've certainly found in my own training that if you are smart about how you do it, in other words, you know, running a couple of times a week and pushing yourself there, it's certainly not going to have any negative effect on your lifting. And if anything, it's probably going to have a positive effect because it gives you that greater endurance so that you can do more training volume without feeling gassed. And it gives you some health benefits and mood benefits that go beyond strength training by itself, in my opinion. So something to think about. Hope you found it useful. Again, uh, if you would like to sign up to the newsletter, head over to luketullock.com. And finally, if you enjoyed the episode, please do me a favor and give me a rating and or a share. Uh, Make sure you tag me so I can say thank you. And yeah, I guess that's it. I'll catch you in the next one. Thank you.